0: Well, as I said, I want to welcome you uh, to Easter in color this year. I can tell even, even from the stage, these lights are kind of blinding up here, but I can tell there are a lot of bright colors in the house. Some of you men are wearing colors. I won't see you in again for the rest of the year, but that's kind of what we do at Easter. Easter is really a time for, for colors and that sort of thing, and I was thinking about this as I was praying and preparing for this year's Easter message one of my earliest memories, maybe my absolute earliest memory of Easter, before I knew what it was really all about, I remember one year going to my Easter basket as a young boy and my mom had put in the Easter basket Crayola crayons. Everybody remember some Crayola crayons? Remember you open it up, open that box, I had, remember the smell of Crayola? Some of us remember the smell because we, we used to eat them, but that's a whole other sermon. Um... But, but, you know, you get that when you're very young, you get the eight-pack of Crayola crayons. They're bigger than the other ones, so your little hands can manipulate them better. And you get the basic colors. You get, you get yellow, orange, red, green, blue, brown so you can color in the trees, and black so you can trace the outlines, which are already there, but you got to do it anyway. And then there's that other color that I always thought was purple. But alas, it was not purple. It's violet. Who knew? Purple and violet, but I still remember getting that first pack of Crayola crayons. But don't you remember, too, when you graduated from the eight-pack of Crayola crayons? When you went from just being a kid with crayons to being a kid who knew what's up. When you took your coloring game to the HNL, the whole nother level, and you went from the eight-pack. Oh, yeah, you know where this is going, don't you? Oh, I just dumped them out. To the Crayola 64 pack. Remember with the sharpener in the box, baby. Remember that? Man, I remember that so vividly. And you'd open up this thing, get this Easter grass out of the way. In the Easter grass great, so flammable, it's perfect. But remember you you get those 64 colors that open up a whole new world of colors you didn't even know was out there. Cerulean, salmon. I thought it was a fish, but no, it's a color and i don't know if you're aware of this but even now i don't know if this was true when i was a kid but today if you go buy a sixty four count box of crayola crayons there is in the box the color burnt orange i just wanted to point that out on this easter sunday morning apparently the crayola corporation did some study and they discovered that burnt orange was god's favorite color so they included it in the box but color is a big deal. Easter is color. And the reason for that is very, very simple. Because color in Easter, as in crayons and all of life, color is all about light. Color is really just the way light reflects off of certain objects and bounces back into our eyeballs at different Radiations, different intensities and wavelengths, and then inside our eyeballs, the way those color receptors, remember seventh grade biology, the rods and cones in your eyes, and, and, and that's what processes, it's what perceives and then processes those colors, and that's, that's the scientific definition of color, but isn't it true that, that color runs a lot deeper than that? that? Color means a great deal more to us than just the scientific explanation. I think color is one of those things in life. Color has, has a lot of depth to it. First of all, there, there's life in color. Think about it. that's why we, we dress like we do at Easter, because it's springtime. It's when the grass goes from brown to green again. It's when trees that had shed their leaves in the fall and the winter begin to rebud and reblossom and bloom and flourish again. It's when blue bonnets and Indian paintbrush explode on the roadside. So there's life, and, and color communicates that life. There's also a depth to color. I think about if you're in a a Bahamas island maybe waiting for bonefish and you're in shin-deep water, it is crystal-clear water. If we weren't in church, we would say it's gin-clear. But since we're in church, it's crystal-clear. And you can see it's like a bathtub. And yet less than a mile away, that same water becomes a deep, sapphire blue when the bottom drops out and the tongue of the ocean plummets to 3,500, 4,500, 6,500 feet of depth and that water becomes that deep sapphire blue. I think there's a reality to color. Color is real. There's actual red and actual blue and actual green. Now we all perceive them differently. Some of us maybe are even colorblind. The vast majority of people who are colorblind, did you know this, are men. That's a whole other sermon, but I just thought I'd point that out. Color is real. It's there. There's also an energy and a power to color. There's this energy in light waves that we just talked about perceiving from a scientific standpoint. There's a lot going on with color. And so it's interesting to me that as kids, we're always graduating from the eight-pack to the 64-pack. We're always discovering new colors, new shades, and new variations of what we thought life was all about and finding out more and more and more. And this goes on until we're about 18 or 19 years old, at which point we discover that we know everything there is to know in the whole world. Isn't it funny how when we were 19 we knew it all? That's kind of a universal rite of passage, isn't it? And that's okay. That's fine. That, That season passes. But I've noticed that unless we're really, really diligent, unless we're incredibly intentional, as we age, as life happens, as responsibilities pile up, if we're not careful, instead of discovering new colors and new shades and variations, we can instead begin to focus on the grays of life. We even say things like, well, it's not so black and white. There are different shades of gray. And sometimes the grays in life are the very things that create the most angst and anxiety in the unknowns of life. You know, if you get good news or bad news, even if it's bad news, at least you know what you're up against. But it's in that uncertain zone. It's in the grays that we start to get anxious. It's sometimes where we can get depressed if we're not very, very careful. Sometimes the grays are created just by stale routine. Stale routine where you just kind of, you know, you get up every morning, eat a Pop-Tart, go to work, Come home, have dinner, have a little something to maybe take the edge off, go to sleep the next morning. Get up, have a Pop-Tart, go to work, come home, take the edge off, go to sleep the next morning. Rinse and repeat over and over and over and over again. The grays of life. As a matter of fact, if I can, just for a quick second, let me let you know, next weekend, we're kicking off a teaching series right here. That is a full frontal attack on the grays of life. Next weekend, we're starting a series called There's Gotta Be More that goes after the grays of life because the message of Jesus is all about illuminating life and going at it and proving that in Him there is more. That's what the Christian life, the Christian faith is really all about. So that's what we're gonna do next week. Would love to have you be a part of that. But now we return to our regularly scheduled programming, and the fact of the matter is that Easter, at the very heart of Easter, is more. Easter is all about more, and this makes sense if you understand that Easter, beneath the surface and the superficial bright colors and sunrise services, beneath all of those things, Easter is simply the recognition of the resurrection The recognition of the resurrection on a personal level. Certainly we do it collectively. Look around the room right now. I mean, this is a great, great day. So many of us are here collectively and corporately, but there's got to be a personal recognition of the resurrection. And, And what's actually going on, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The fact of our faith. The fact. This is not a myth. It's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor that we like to try to communicate spiritual truths. It is a fact upon which we base every part of our lives. It is the fact that he rose from the dead. Now, we know that he was dead because he hung on a Roman cross, convicted and tried of crimes that he never committed, having led a perfect, morally flawless life. Jesus, God in human form, died on a cross, and we know that he died because, you know, a lot of people have tried to propose certain conspiracy theories. One of them is known as the swoon theory, that somehow he just kind of passed out. Anybody who believes the swoon theory doesn't understand crucifixion. Crucifixion, the Roman Empire had raised capital punishment to an absolute art form. They knew how to kill people. As a matter of fact, Roman soldiers who brought Jesus down from the cross, there was nobody on the planet more intimately familiar or acquainted with death and dying than Roman centurions and soldiers. And had one of them, even one, brought him down before he was dead, that would have subjected them to capital punishment. So we know that he definitely died on the cross, was buried in the ground, but— Everybody say, but, but he rose again on that Sunday morning. He got up from the dead. And this is Easter. This is the power of Easter. This is the very thing that sheds light into every part of life. This is the very thing that throws light in a world full of people who are throwing shade You know that term throw in shade, right? Those people who are kind of cynical, people who are hypercritical. and, And I understand where that comes from. We live in a tough, tough time. Just this past week, just this week, we've had bombings from Brussels to Baghdad and beyond. Closer to home, our own presidential politics, can we at least all agree that they are right now at least somewhere south of inspiring And so it would become easy to get downhearted, to become depressed, and to think that everything is just absolutely going into darkness. And yet Easter is the very thing that throws light into every part of life. This is somewhere where the Bible provides an incredible, incredible help. In the book of Mark, chapter 16, the Bible records a fascinating progression in that first Easter weekend it's found in Mark chapter 16 if you've got your Bible or maybe on your phone you can go there in Mark 16 1 Mark gives us an amazing progression he starts with a little background he starts in verse 1 look at what he says Saturday evening when the Sabbath had ended Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body Now, this is Saturday night. This is at the conclusion of the Jewish Sabbath. Sabbath started for the Jew on Friday at sundown, went all the way through Saturday and concluded Saturday at sundown. So as soon as sundown happened on Saturday, these three women who had followed Jesus for most of his earthly ministry immediately ran out to Whole Foods to purchase some burial spices and oils. Because in that day and age, They didn't have the embalming fluids and the funeral preparations that we have. And so in order to offset the effects of decomposition of a dead body, they would anoint the body with oil and put spices and perfumes on it so that the effects of decomposition would not be as great when when the body was laid in the tomb. But I want you to notice that this is what they did on Saturday night at sunset. At sunset. And to understand the context, you've got to know that for these three women and for so many others who had followed Jesus faithfully, these three women, the Bible tells us, had even helped contribute to the ministry financially. And so when Jesus died on Friday afternoon, for them, his death was devastating. For them, this meant the end of their hopes and their dreams and everything that they had believed in. And when you go buy burial spices and anointing oils you do so expecting to find a body and that was their mindset that was their heart set on saturday night as the sun was setting as darkness was descending isn't it true that the less light you have the less you see and also the less you see the more you fear a few months ago i had some work that i needed to do at home one night and Brought my briefcase home and I left it in my truck, which I parked right outside the front of our house in in our cul-de-sac there and went in and had dinner with Julie and we, you know, recapped the day or whatever. And as I was getting ready to kind of call it a day, I remembered I had some work to do. So I went outside and the sun had already set and it was dark. And as I stepped out of the porch light on our front porch, I could make out the outline of my truck there in front of the house. But beyond that, it was pitch black darkness. And so I grabbed my key and I, I hit the little unlock button on my key ring and when I did that the lights flashed and the locks clicked and all of a sudden I heard what sounded like the hooves of a thousand angry white-tailed deer skittering and slipping and starting to run across the street in our cul-de-sac scared me to death had no idea they were even out there Julie said it was so bad when I came back inside with my briefcase she said all the color had drained out of my face and I said, well, that's because I almost just died. I, I could see the headline, you know, local pastor impaled by raging whitetails. But, but think about this. What if I had walked out the next morning and seen the exact same thing? When I had, if I had seen those whitetail, I would have been like, oh, look. They're, they're chewing on the neighbor's flowers. are not that beautiful? But when I couldn't see, I was afraid. You see, we need light to see. We need to see to have courage. At sundown on Saturday, Saturday, these women couldn't see what was about to happen. But the story wasn't done yet. Mark goes on in verse 2. He says, very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, say on the way that's a big deal on the way they were asking each other who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb but as they arrived they looked up and saw that the stone which was very large had already been rolled aside now we're on Sunday morning now the sun's coming up now we're we're starting to see things a little bit more clearly now we can start to begin to understand What's real and what's not. And I love that the women were on their way. They had already bought the burial spices. They they were expecting to find a corpse when they got to the tomb. And yet, it's on the way that they were, oh wait, there's going to be a big rock there. And we know archaeologically and historically, these stones that were used to seal tombs in Jesus' day were somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 pounds 1,500, I mean, I could only bench press that about twice. That's a big, big rock. And for these women, it would have been immovable in that trench because they were, they were installed in a trench that ran at an incline. So when it was time to seal the tomb, the stone could just roll down that trench, <laughs> locked into place. But the critical phrase that I want you to focus on is not about the stone, but at that term, on the way. They got going and were on the way when they began to discover and realize God's plan. And when they discovered his plan, they saw his purpose. And when they saw his purpose, then they discovered his power. But it wasn't until they got going on the way. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but I do know this. If you want to know God, if you want to lean in and discover his plan his purpose and his power in your life personally you have got to get going on the way you got to get going you got to lean in you will never discover his plan his purpose or his power by just sitting around waiting for it to drop in your lap you got to move you have got to go and that's what these women did isn't it interesting that it was as they were going to anoint the body which we know now wasn't even there that God took even what was a faulty motive and used it for his purposes. They were never going to anoint a body because there was no body there. And yet God used that in their faithfulness as they just got going on the way to reveal to them his purpose, his plan, and his power. Now look at what happened when it got there. When they entered the tomb... They saw a young man clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, this is as good a place as any because it talks about the angel, and I know for a fact that in a room like this with this many people or maybe watching online, there are some of us here in this room who have trouble with the whole angel thing. You, you're, you may be even a person who's having trouble with somebody coming back from the dead, and I get it. You're, you're one of those, you're a linear kind of rational guy or rational girl, and you're kind of like, oh, man, I'm down with the whole do unto others and be a good guy, but when you start talking about people rising from the dead, angels talking to women in an empty tomb, I don't know let me just tell you that you're in a safe place to ask those kind of questions and I I want you to know that this is a place that we encourage that kind of questioning and also God's big enough to handle those questions as a matter of fact Jesus said don't just don't check your door check your brain at the door of the Christian faith he said the greatest command is to love God with all your heart and your soul your emotions but also to love God with your mind. Bring your intellect. If you're going to engage with an infinite, perfect, holy God, you're going to need everything you got, cuz. So love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. And if you are a person who questions the supernatural, first of all, you're in good company. But I want to just suggest something to you. Isn't it at least possible? Isn't it at least possible? that God is bigger than anything we can comprehend or understand isn't it at least possible that God is capable of doing more than we are capable of understanding because I I don't think anybody really if, if you think it all the way through I don't think anybody is so arrogant as to believe well if I don't understand it it must not be real thank you very much I'm going to brunch We kind of believe that we need a God bigger than we are. We need a God more powerful than we are. One who eclipses and transcends our intellect. But who requires of us our intellect and bringing our mind to our faith. And our faith to our mind and integrating those two things. But the angel here in the tomb says he's not here. He is risen, and it is for this reason that Easter is color. Everything that we said about color just a few minutes ago, it is life, it is depth, it is reality, it is energy and power. This is Easter for the simple fact that Jesus is light. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I believe that Jesus is saying here, you don't have to live in the grays. You you don't have to live in the unknowns. You can live in full, 4K, ultra, HD. You can move from black and white and gray and ashen to full-blown color and life and passion in every part of life. Easter. Easter's a reset. It's where God reset his relationship with humanity. That that relationship that we were created for, that relationship that was ruptured by our rebellion, sin. That's what it is. That relationship that was ruptured, God repaired in righteousness, the moral perfection of Jesus. Jesus so that we could have relationship with Him. And so for some of us this year, Easter is a reset to to lean into Jesus more fully and more completely. You've already committed your life. You've already stepped over that line of faith. But but this is an opportunity to reset and and to follow Him more closely, to obey Him more completely, and, and to remember that being a Christ follower, it's not about just going to church. It's not about just going to church, uh, you know, if, as long as it's convenient or unless we get a better offer, but following Jesus is about being the church. And when you remember that we are the church collectively, together, then gathering becomes a priority. It becomes the hub of the week around which everything else revolves and out of which everything else radiates and it's a priority but it's an opportunity to reset for others of us here it may be an opportunity for the first time to reset your life to to step into that relationship with Christ to respond to his amazing grace initiative that grace on top of grace by entering into a relationship with him it doesn't require an elaborate ceremony you don't have to to pass a test all it takes is a willing heart it, it requires a complete surrender to jesus the only one who by the way offered to die for you the only one who did die for you the only one who rose again for you the only one who has the authority and by the way the desire to forgive you of everything that you've ever been ashamed of this is our jesus this is what he does this is easter this is a reset and for you it may be your first easter sunday i want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment And if you're here today and God is moving in you and wants to bring you home and you're responding to it, then I want to just invite you to pray a prayer of commitment. That prayer of surrender, just right where you're sitting, in your own words, just, just talk to God and just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, just silently talk to him. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life, all of it. And I claim your forgiveness, all of it. Jesus, this is my first Easter because of you. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. Because this is a sacred moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it, then I want you to know a couple things. Number one, we want to help. We want to be a family of faith to you, to help you grow in this new relationship. And also, by the way, we want to learn from you. We're better because you're a part of the family of faith. And so, if you're here today and you just stepped into that relationship with Christ, or... Maybe you have a prayer request, something that we can be praying about with you. When you came in this morning, every one of you got a program and inside that program is a connect card. If you just committed your life to Christ today or if there's something we can do to pray for you, I want to invite you to use that card. Just fill it out. Indicate there I committed my life to Christ or here's how you can pray for me. Whatever it might be, before you leave today, Just take that card and hand it to one of our ushers. Maybe you give it to one of the folks occupying the blue tent out there underneath the big awning on your way out. But number two, if that was your prayer today and you stepped into that relationship with Christ as our heads are bowed, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand? Just just raise it up high over your head. And hold it up there for just a moment because in raising your hand, you're stamping this moment in your life and in the life of this church. There's nothing more important to us as a church than this moment in your life. It's why we exist. And so we honor that. We celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.